Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Townend. Hello, Janina. Hi. How are you feeling? Uh, happy, 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 sad, sad, sad. Happy, happy, happy. That's a, that's a good way of describing how we're feeling both today as we are recording our final, final, final episode of The Voice of 5G Podcast, our baby. <laughs> this will be the ultimate podcast, though, so keep listening. We have some great guests. A reoccurring from the podcast, now joining for the final episodes, we have Cecilia Atterval, previously head of marketing for Ericsson Networks. Now she's going to be head of marketing for the entire Ericsson very shortly. We have Peter Linder. He's a 5G thought leader for Ericsson North America. He's been on the podcast several times as well. Normally talking about what's happening in, in North America, not this time. Then we have Patrick Sigerval, Mr. Mobility Report himself, I usually say, but he's stepped down now, but he is still working a lot on strategies and numbers. And he's been on the podcast several times in several different settings. And last but not least, we have Dr. Sibel Tombas, reoccurring guest from one of the first episodes. She explained then Spectrum for us and has been highly involved in the launch of the functionality uh, spectrum sharing, which shares different spectrum bands across the different Gs. She has also been known to do a lot of speed tests and speed records. I just saw her a few weeks ago with another uplink speed record announced. She has also been on stage at Mobile Congress and lots of other stuff. She's a multi-talented and Highly, highly great lady. I say, I don't know if you remember, but we did join Sibel live quite a long while ago mm. to witness a live world speed record, yes. a 5G speed record, 56 bold or something. Mm. So we're joined by those great guests. And how about we listen to what they have to say? Now, Peter Linder, you work for Ericsson in North America and based in Texas, and you've been on the podcast several times. Yeah, this has been a familiar place to go for, I think, in the last five years. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's a lot of voices as possible over the years. Sibel yeah. <laughs> Tombas, one of our absolute favorite guests all time. Sibel, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Elena. Thank you very much. Great to be back. So, Patrick, welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. Thank you. It's a fantastic pleasure to be here. Yeah, it, it hardly seems like yesterday that we were sat in the studio there talking live with video about the mobility report. Yeah, I think that what you mentioned, that live recording with video, that was a 
great episode. And I remember that we always talked about how wrong were I doing the forecasting in the mobility reports. <laughs> <laughs> I had to admit that I always was wrong because forecasting is always wrong. But it is, it's actually exciting that so many things still happened as we thought they would. And we, we hit the different marks and we said that 5G would come faster than 4G and so it has. And Cecilia Attervall, welcome to the Voice of 5G last episode podcast. Cecilia. Thank you, Janina and Paul. Great to be here. Yeah, lovely to have you back on the podcast. Yeah. Yes, it's been a few times actually over the years. Yeah. We also must say that Cecilia has been our supporter all the way from the start and sponsor as well, right? This is your baby too, Cecilia. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. You know, when people bring wonderful, excellent ideas to you, it's not very hard to be a sponsor from the start. Oh. We've been podcasting for several years and you've been with us a number of times. So we thought it'd be interesting to, to get your perspectives on 5G and the podcast and stuff. So back in 2018, 5G wasn't even commercially launched. Do you know what? What you thought 5G would be back then, and has that thought changed throughout these years? I think that back then, what I was reflecting a lot at in the beginning, say 2018, it was like the first year something went out into the networks. I was reflecting a lot about how 4G would be different from 5G. So I was making a lot of comparisons back then. And one of my key conclusions early on was, hey, this has a lot more potential. What has surprised me in the first half of the deployment cycle here has been the very strong uptake on fixed wireless. Fixed wireless was not even part of the frame for how we standardized 5G, but we added that as a fourth box fairly early on. The other thing I think that strikes me a lot is how quick uh, smartphones and mobile broadband ramped up. It came a lot earlier in the cycles. And I was also surprised to see how many different service providers that were jumping on to 5G early. One of the early slides I made was like, no one is betting on being a fast follower for 5G. I think that we have seen a lot of amazing things, but I also think that we have a lot of interesting things that hasn't really happened yet. So my respect for when introducing a new T, you kind of marketing with all the different stuff that's going to happen over 10 years. But at the same time, you're trying to division for what is going to happen. It's a little bit like uh, going to uh, college, it's going to be great 40 years down the road when you got the review or a degree, but you don't have everything in, everything doesn't happen after math A in the first semester, but there's a lot of hard work to be put in and a lot of interesting things to happen. So I think that's, that is perhaps my perspective, a little bit of what, uh, what has happened. It's been more of a development curve. 2019, we, I spent a lot of time going around with different business events and talking about what 5G could do for businesses pretty every month. And then when the pandemic kicked in and we couldn't really go there, we had to say, how do we bring out those kind of messages? And we talked about, it was very much about helping business to see what they should do. And one of the key things, which I think still stands was like the 5G is an evolution happening in the stairs as a stairway to 5G. <laughs> it's not like you go in and push 5G in the elevator, and get up to the fifth floor and, and it's rock and roll. 5G back then was first a promise of something that would be delivered not just to consumers, but also to enterprises. It would open up a lot of new verticals and so on. And it has. But what I don't think I 
realized was the different steps of 5G, where NSA or the non-standalone part, which came first, was really a first initial step towards 5G. It was not the full 5G. Now realizing what standalone can do, I realize that that is actually the place or time when uh, it really becomes this innovation platform. Uh, I think that's something that you learn over time. You know, what's the difference between the different steps of 5G? Obviously, we had it in 4G as well. A number of these, you know, advanced and LTEs and all of these steps. It was quite exciting times when I remember. I mean, 2017, 18, this was the years we were like full speed on designing this kind of innovation. We were super excited and that's what we were speaking a lot about. But there was a lot of concerns. Will this really work? Will this one of these things that you just talk about? Because it was so complex. When we talk about it, you were trying to do something that Nest had never done before. You were trying to share the spectrum, which is the most expensive asset of the operators. They spent millions or in some cases billions of dollars. And then suddenly we come and say, you know what? You don't need to spare spectrum to one technologies. You can share in the millisecond level. And you don't need to do anything. We can do it from the network side. I think that was, that's why in, in the first years, it was more about explanation. What does it require? What does it require from device and all these things. And then we spent quite a huge amount of time, 2019, the early testing and bringing the first solutions. And then we basically cleared up all the concerns because it was working. It was a huge amount of work. But at the end, when we actually go live, all the concerns from the customers, operators, it cleared up because it was working perfectly. But then what happened, as you said, is it just pick up. It become almost a default way of introducing 5G and both helping the coverage and also helping the mid-bands with irrigation. And then when I just look at right now, as I said, currently, I think close to 100 Ericsson customers are using spectrum sharing in their network. And we also extended the solution. In the beginning, we come with 4G and 5G spectrum sharing in the beginning. But then we have added 2G inside. We have added Narbano UT inside. We have added CATM inside. We are actually running four or five technologies sharing the same band today. So that's also evolved. It's, it's really super beautiful that I actually seen from day one to how it is now. It's a big proud moment for me and my team. Interesting to say it's 2G, 2G, 4G and 5G, but not 3G. And we've seen in other, in other circumstances that the 3G rather than 2G is probably the one that is in focus for operators to actually phase out. Exactly. And I think there's two reasons. As you said, first, the 3G is definitely becoming the first technology to be shut down. 2G is going to stay, it seems staying much longer uh, because of the quite nice voice and also old devices. Another big difference is how the technology is built. Both 2G, 4G and 5G, they are more scheduling in the time domain, whereas 3G have been more in the frequency domain. And whole spectrum sharing is about how can I put time and frequency dom domain blocks in a way that I can share? But yeah. 3G doesn't really allow it. So you can divide in a frequency domain, but you don't do this kind of millisecond level sharing with 3G. I think Ericsson and those of us working with 5G from the start, I think we saw a long time ago where we wanted 5G to go. And we were talking a lot about moving from consumer applications actually into different kinds of enterprise applications and connections that would be all across society in all different parts of life to enable connectivity to really improve many different aspects of life and business and society. But the big thing, the change that we saw coming was to see connectivity enhancing more than lives through mobile communication, really enabling machines and, and other kinds of communication too. Have you seen that come more and more in? 
I think we have, but I also have to say that I think it's taking uh, sometimes in some areas a little bit longer maybe than what we thought. I mean, the good thing is that I think there are a lot of consumer enhancements that are enabled by 5G, not just in terms of mobile broadband, but also with fixed wireless access, and which is really like a blockbuster around the world, enabling connectivity as a complement to fiber and other kinds of fixed connectivity. On enterprise side, we have seen it's moving forward. We see a lot of need for improvements to indoor connections and connectivity. And we also see connections and connectivity in places like, for example, factories, where we have great examples from our own 5G smart factory in Louisville in the US, for example, that enables a more efficient, both in terms of the productivity, but also in terms of using the connection for energy efficient and smart production as well. We've done a lot, Paul. Well, almost 100 episodes and almost five years we've been going. Everyone perhaps understands that this podcast is not scripted. We, Paul and I, we like it more to be like on a feeling basis. (laughs) (laughs) How has your experience been when recording? Do you have any memories there? First of all, it was my first podcast. It was a lot of kind of excitement and nervousness. But then you're just like this, just talking in a coffee break with friends. Yeah, it was very nice. I'm also quite a big fan of your podcast and I'm listening a lot and also in my team. For some of the new topics, I really like to listen because what I like about it is that it's, it is very fun, but it, you are actually bringing a lot of good technical questions and then people need to explain it in a very, a very nice and simple way. So I think it's also very educational to many people. So I really enjoy it. And I'm very proud, of course, to be part of it. If I had many, any kind of <laughs> help in explaining one complex technology to a larger audience, it's, uh, it only makes me happy. I'm really, really happy to really be part of the, this podcast. And I'm a bit sad that this is the last one. Podcast, I think is an interesting form. I've been exposed a little bit to podcasting. I think as a form, it's very engaging because you get to listen to more or less a conversation. So that's a little bit how I always approach it when going on to a podcast, essentially trying to have an interesting conversation with you as hosts, but also making sure that there are nuggets and so on for people listening. And it's perhaps a little bit harder than you think to pull together. You have to find that format for both that fits the audience, but also that fits you as host and brings out the personalities. You've, you've seen that over the years. And also technology side of things, like in the beginning, you're trying to fill it around with a, with a microphone, perhaps, and even what you had on the laptop. And now my wife is complaining all the time, you don't have an office at home. This looks more like a TV studio with microphones and cameras. And I, I'm pretty much on probation for more tech stuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you actually helped remind me, Janina. So I was talking about the previous episodes. I'm like, oh, I've been with you quite a few times in great conversations. Remind me. And you did. And as I look back, I particularly remember the episode we were doing in, in Movoa Congress with Sally Eves. And, and we had a great conversation there about a topic very close to both of us on sustainability and energy efficient networks. And then we also got to go out on the floor and play a bit with a game that made me feel like a queen of dragons. <laughs> I, you know, that, I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one as well. It was a little bit awkward because we were in Stockholm and you guys were in Barcelona and we did this uh, podcast. So we were like, what are they doing? What are they doing there? Yeah, when you're we had there. a great time. Yeah. But it was also fun, actually, this year. And Paul, then you were actually there on the floor. You were running around, I don't know what, <laughs> trying to cover, 
cover all bases. We managed to actually meet up and talk about monetization. Yeah. And, and that, I think, remains one of the key topics of our industry, the value of 5G and you know, really getting yeah. the, both the full value for the users, but also in terms of the return on investment with our customers and how they are thinking about evolving their networks for the mm -hmm. future. Yeah, but monetization has definitely been a recurring topic in the last half year or, or year, I suppose. And it's tied, of course, also to you know, what useful enterprises of the 5G network, what role is there for CSPs in enterprise and 5G? And also the things that we've talked about, like cloud gaming, you can monetize uh, different services over the top of 5G. Actually, when we think about it, a lot of the fun use cases that we have been showcasing actually have a lot to do with gaming. And a lot of the ones with a clear value has also been related to manufacturing and, and logistics as well. But I think all of these are still, it's still early days in a way for all of these. Yeah. The thing that sticks in my mind from that is when you watch television and videos and things, is the cameraman that we were using that was coming. It's like, well, you sit here and you no, don't move your chair that way too much. Lots of instructions on how we should behave in yeah. front of the camera and then you know, like everything starts, it's live and it's like, oh, what was it you said? <laughs> but what a great show you've done for all these years and all the different topics and that you got exposed to and got to ask questions around. That's amazing. So have you listened to your own episodes? I can't really, because it just reminds me of things I should have said yeah. and why I stumble and how can you pronounce that word so badly? And uh, self-critical, right? Yeah, yeah. extremely self-critical. Yeah. So I'm happy if someone else listens, but <laughs> I don't want to listen myself. Yeah. Have you made someone else listen to your episodes? No, <laughs> I haven't. But I had colleagues that have listened and oh, come back and say, oh, oh, this was really good. I heard you there. And da, da, da. You got some good feedback at least. Yeah. I got some good feedback. <laughs> I, I don't think Paul has listened to a single episode. Just soon. I have, but not many. <laughs> but there's this strange thing when you when you listen to your own voice, it doesn't sound the same. No, it doesn't. If even you are like that, then I'm not feeling weird. No, I don't listen to my own podcast, and I also cannot watch my own videos mm. presenting. <laughs> but I like watching and listening to others. Excellent. And spreading it to your team. That's great. Now back to the 5G topic. What do you think are the most interesting things that's happening now at the moment, mid-2023? What are the things that you're looking for? It is quite exciting right now also. I feel like we have done the first part, which was more about let's define how to deploy the best 5G networks in a level that you have the best performance and all the important KPIs for your network. I think that we have done quite well enabling devices, bringing low band, mid band, bringing key functionalities like voice slicing. But now I feel that is a time now the deployments and the monetization will scale. And that's, I think, the exciting part of it. We are spending most of the time in 5G right now is standalone because that part is like a prerequisite to be able to start deploying 5G and monetizing it. That's the kind of the promise of 5G, right, from day one. And that requires standalone. So it was really quite a big journey. Now what we see is the number of operators moving from non-standalone to standalone is increasing rapidly. And I believe this year and 2024 will be the breaking point where we see a quite an exponential curve. So that's quite exciting. When you go from non-standalone to standalone, how much of that is new equipment and how much of that is just up, uh, upgrading software? From run side, it's pure software. 
So from run, if you're running, let's say, low band, mid band, your radio is there, your bass band is there. It's just a software upgrade. You don't, and, and we actually run both of them. It's not like we are swapping NSA. We are just running two modes and we decide based on the device capability, which one we choose. So they stay together. It stay together. Which of course you need, because if anyone's on your network, which has got a non-standalone device, because they were one of the pioneers and bought their phone three years ago, they want to still use it when you bring in standalone. So you need both, both to be there at the same time. Exactly. They need the core. Yes, So the core part, yeah. they need an investment. But from run, from equipment-wise, there is no impact and they just need a software upgrade. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah, but the core is just software anyway, isn't it? It is also. Yeah. It's just it's a bit more, more difficult. So when you go from non-standalone core to 5G core, I think there, there's actually a big leap of change. Yeah. I think that requires still a software, but a bit more integration needed. But from run side, it is really an upgrade that it's quite invisible. But it does mean that and in the same way that you know, the radios that we were selling in 2015 for 4G, you could use them also for 5G. It's, this, it's a bit the same. When you've invested and built your non-standalone 5G network, you're still able to reuse that equipment going forward into standalone. De definitely. There's no change on that. Which is that's good for the operator because they don't need to buy new equipment. <laughs> it's good for the environment Except because it, because you don't need to keep making more stuff, you know, and throwing away old stuff that's still usable. And, exactly. Uh, and it's good for the consumer because if it keeps the cost down for the operator, then it keeps subscriptions down. What is exciting right now is what you can do on top of standalone. Yeah. And there are many few interesting areas happening almost at the same time. One is slicing. We have been talking about it from day one, but it's actually now in action. Operators are using it for creating more guaranteed experience for different application and use cases. And then there is out of discussion IoT. It's the first time we are actually creating IoT for 5G for different industrial and, and the variables. And that's also coming up uh, very soon. My favorite And then topic. there's a bit more midterm. <laughs> there you're talking about uh, what we call red cap, is that right? Correct, yeah. yes. And the third part is the XR. That's the part that I'm really excited about. It's not going to happen here and now, but this is about 2024 and 25. I think this is the place where we believe the uh, ramp up slowly will start in XR and AR space. What excites me about this area is not only about the technology and what it requires from devices and from network, but how it will change how we communicate. So we are expecting quite a big paradigm shift on the communication as we had done with smartphones. So maybe the way we look at 6G and the devices will completely change. It depends on what will happen in the next five years in 5G. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's the interesting part that we haven't really seen what 5G can actually do yet. Because last time I saw it, it was only like 30 standalone networks out there live. So not a lot. And just if I can do my marketing as well, 25 of them is powered by Ericsson. At the moment, we basically, the only 5G we see is the increased bandwidth, right? So nothing special, but of course... Network slicing is also available on 4G. Paul keeps saying, right? Do I, do I keep saying that? Oh. I won't be saying that much longer, Janine. It's all okay. right. Okay. <laughs> I think until now, it was about, the first wave was about let's build a network. But I think next 505G will be about really kind of leveraging what you have built and bringing the use cases on top. The fact that we can do millisecond level slicing for different capability of devices end-to-end -end run transport core and now also additional in the UE where we can guarantee different experience even the different applications. For example, when you're running 
Teams call in your phone, we can actually have a different call of service than when you're doing Instagram, for example. So I think these things are very unique to 5G. The capability is there. We are testing end-to-end. But I think applications, you will start seeing this kind of immense capability that is, is bringing on top of standalone. And the same thing for IoT. 4G has IoT with Narbonne IoT and CAT-M, but they are more like sensors or low cost. But what 5G IoT will bring is much more advanced IoT use cases for industries, for wearables, for cars, the things that actually the 4G cannot do. So this will bring on top of the capabilities of 4G. So the two things are the interesting part going forward. The first one is that right now we have got to a point where we have the 5G network is out to a level where we can actually start putting things on top of it. So I'm looking forward to all the innovations going to come, both technology innovations and applications and business model innovations and device innovation that's going to come on top of the network. Before the networks is out there, it's hard for a lot of other businesses to commit to doing the devices or applications and so on when it's just spot the coverage. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think is very interesting is that I see a lot of untapped potential for 5G going forward for the things that we have talked about a lot. I'm thinking about introducing standalone architecture. So essentially, we're just entering the world where the core gets upgraded to 5G right now. The other thing I think is interesting is that we're going to see 5G indoors. So building 5G indoors with different new business model innovation for making that happen, I think is very interesting. Hmm. I also think that now with 5G fixed wireless being so successful, first wireless get to the point, should we expand, should we densify the network or should we stop marketing the service? And when you're looking for revenue growth, I'm convinced that the answer to that would be, we will densify the network, putting out a few more extra radios where you have a lot of wireless customers. I also see that this 5G4 in rural areas, if you look at the traffic patterns in latest mobility report, there's hardly any 5G traffic in, in rural areas. I think the infrastructure to close the digital divide in rural areas, when you can close both the fixed and the mobile divide with one and the same stone, killing two birds with one stone there, I think is, is very powerful. So I think it's a lot the second half of the 5G deployment cycle, I think we'd be very much more multifaceted and seeing how all these different different deployment scenarios comes out. I think we've gone from just talking about a lot of opportunities to actually seeing these things. Fixed wise access momentum, we started to see it quite early, but I think it's coming much, much faster. And then I thought you know, also the amount of devices that support fixed wise access have become more. I also think that the gaming part is another area which kind of started up as a big, big hype. And how do you see the future for, for 5G then? So it'll be less and less about 5G, more and more about what you actually use it for. Then whether it's actually a very good 4G that you might have for an IoT service, whether it's a 5G needed on standalone with low latency for a gaming feature or a, driving a drone in a factory. It will be more about the applications rather than about the technology itself. And that probably brings us up to 5G advanced and 6G and whatever. It will be steps of, of technology that maybe should be less in focus and then have these application and business opportunities more in focus. It's an interesting parallel to 4G because I think the thing that made 4G to, and to some extent 3G, but, but particularly 4G, was like the app ecosystem for consumers. It was the app that moved you from 
now I've got a telephone, I can make voice calls to, now I can use my phone to do banking, to keep in touch with my friends, to post pictures and videos yep. and all sorts of stuff. And that's only going to continue with 5G, of course. Exactly. And those things, technically, you could do them over 3G. Banking doesn't require so much speed. But it didn't happen until you had all these capabilities at the same time. I think that thing we sometimes forget when we talk about 5G, that 5G kind of enables a lot of performance. We think that we need applications that actually requires those performances, but it's more that we want applications that just work and many of them at the same time and move between them. And that requires capacity in the network, which 5G brings. So kind of the other way around to looking at it, almost like 4G. Now what's 6G going to bring us? More of everything? Isn't that what we always say? I think we always try to, as industry, solve the problems that we experience on 1G to solve that in the next G. So it's the things that still doesn't really work perfectly and things that we haven't really explored with 5G, that's what 6G will start to do. I think 5G and 6G will blend together. As users, both business or enterprise or consumer, you're probably going to you know, have less notion whether you have changed generation or not. It just works in different ways. That's why. When I started at Ericsson, there was a lot of talk about the heterogeneous network, HetNet. Oh, seamless. You can go seamlessly. Back then, we had a lot of problems with going on the subway and the phones kept interrupting here and there, typically on the tunnel. The tunnel before you got to the office, yeah. where everybody everybody was sat. Uh, yeah. uh, like, oh, like a dark where did my spot. coverage yeah. go? The dark side. And do you think that's going to be like 6G is going to be, oh, you're never, you're always connected. You never notice those kinds of things, perhaps? You know, I'm a radio engineer in the start. And so for me, radio will always be radio. And that means that you will never have good connection everywhere, all the time, everywhere. Oh. You know, it's just... No, there will always be dark spots. There will be those places where the radio signal just doesn't reach you. You are down in the cellar or you're in an elevator or wherever. But what could happen, though, is that you might know that these things are supposed to happen soon and you can react on them. You can boost your signal. You can take actions before they actually happen. So some kind of a predictive radio. Yeah. But you have also got that band thing that... that those dark spots are different in different bands, maybe. True. And, and having a broad range of bands available will make it more reliable. And yes. as you say, if the, if the system knows where you are and where it's going to be unreliable, it can maybe work things out. They can handle um, it in some way. That's, that's cool. Cecilia, what do you think about 6G? <laughs> Thinking about 6G again, I think we can pull a lot of the learnings from the 5G, both in terms of the development but also in terms of the build-out. And these things take time. It should be a natural evolution. And we should learn from what worked and how we could further advance the network. So I think a lot of the vision, as it is evolving from Ericsson's side and other key players in the industry, it is about that limitless connectivity. I mean, really, the connectivity working everywhere while taking care of traffic explosion in a sustainable way, energy-efficient way and towards a more open network architecture. So that's a lot on the techie side. Then I think on 
if you just imagining what 6G would be about, I, I think instead of just inventing crazy use cases, we can each ask everyone listening to us in this episode to just think about what are the different things you would like to see connected and how would it change your world? Because I think that's the sort of expectation we're getting to with connectivity. It's just looking around you with you know, the kids growing up and so mm. on. They see this as, as natural mm. as anything, right? Yeah. It's like electricity or having water in the tap. Of course, you have internet yeah. everywhere. I've seen speculation a little bit about you know, what's the future for the smartphone. The format of the smartphone has been with us now for you know, 10, 15, 15 years, perhaps. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, the format, which was so game-changing when it came, that you could swipe, you could always interact with the screen, I think is also, I think, limiting us in a way. I think we're ready for the next step where you would want to engage not having to, with your finger on, on a screen mm. to, to give instructions. I mean, thinking about audio, thinking about interacting. But imagine, often you come up with ideas or things you want to answer or things you want to get going when you don't have your smartphone at hand, maybe you're even like in the shower or you're out walking or something, just finding a way to get those things into a message and getting sent to others without having to stop, put up your smartphone and picking on the screen. And of course, you can do a lot of that already with telling the phone what you want it to do. I think the opportunities there are great. I've been part of a few G. I haven't been part of the world. My first phone was a 1G phone that I got when I was 20. 29, uh, it's like my stepdaughter was always surprised. Well, what can you do with that little, what kind of games could you play with that tiny little screen? So I think I've seen a lot of these, these different steps and generations. And I think we'll see where it goes. I think it's interesting since we essentially have two different directions for where 60 is on yeah, 7 to 15, which is between today's mid band and high band, and then even shorter waves higher up in spectrum, about a millimeter wave. And I think it's perhaps going to have more changes also to the architecture, the topology. Because 2D, 3D, 4D was very much similar from a topology. Core was sitting with core was sitting and radio was hanging in the towers. Now with 5D, we're starting to see shifts with the small cells being pushed out and cells being pushed indoors. And the cores are moving out closer to the subscribers. And then there's most likely other uh, topology and architecture shifts that we will see for 6G. 6G, of course, the, normally when you look at the generations, how often they come for is for every 10 years. So you expect 2028, 2029. Standardization is in that direction. 5G took, especially since we started with NASA alone, uh, it takes already a few years so that we can actually come to the target and we start building on it. Mm, yeah. So I think what the discussion will be right now is, how 6G will evolve, because we are seeing much closer evolution with 6G to 5G advance, for example, and, and 5G evolution. So every, I think everything that we are going to do in the next five years will be starting point of 6G. But it's very, very early days. And I think what 6G will be about is all the things that we will start in 5G with use cases, we will learn and whatever make it easier to scale. And I think this will just bring to the new standardization for 6G. So this is kind of my expectation. But as I said, everything is new. But that's how I expect the 6G discussions will evolve too. Yeah. It's interesting and, and because we've gone from where you're releasing a new G and it's like almost siloed. Okay. Oh, it's a big thing going into a new G. And now, like you said, 5G, the next wave. Brilliant name for a new podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a waveform that we have going forward, right? It's going to be 
it's going to be more of like integration and new functionality than you're like, oh, you have to now take off all your equipment and change them into new. That's the new way of what we're thinking the future will look like. It's very early. It depends how we define a 6G, especially in the lower layers. So if it is as close to as 5G, the things that we can do with spectrum sharing and enabling it, it will be much more easier. Of course, the moment you have a new band defined, and that is normally not generation dependent, then you need new hardware. Yeah. And within 5G, I mean, if you look back to 4G, 4G when it first came was like 70 megabits per second or something. And now you can use 4G up to two gigabits per second. How much room do you see within 5G for actually improving the throughput and performance and bringing down latency and things? So currently we are seven gigabit per second in downlink and two gigabit per second in uplink. And that is to combining multiple spectrum, including millimeter wave and everything. But I think for me, what is really important is the average experienced data rate. And I think there, there's a huge difference, both in data rate and also the latency. So currently, when you look at the operators deployed quite, let's say, high, high population coverage in Korea, in India, in US, we are getting like 600, 500 megabit per second downlink average throughput. So I think that is not possible with 4G and the existing band irrigation. No. So it requires new bands and a new way to look at it. This was lovely having you again on the podcast, Sibel. It's a sad thing that it's gonna, <laughs> that we're gonna end this, but it was lovely having you back. Sibel, Tombas, thank you so much for being yeah. our, one of our core <laughs> interviewees always. <laughs> for thank you. five years of 5G. Yeah. No, great to be here. Big thanks to you to welcome me from day one and also the last episode. It's a very emotional day for me. I will miss both of you <laughs> immensely. And I'm looking forward to listening to this podcast, except my part. <laughs> it was lovely having you on the podcast so many times, Peter. Always a pleasure to rope you in. I've enjoyed every time I've had the opportunity to be in a show here. And I think you should be really, really proud of what you've done. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. I think we are. Yeah. Patrick Sierval, it was great having you on the podcast. We're going to miss talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cecilia. Great to have you on the podcast all these years. Yeah, it's been a great ride all the way since 2018. And thank you so much for being the, our continuous hosts, both of you, Paul and Janina. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. And I think we have to look back and really see how we have grown, you know, the numbers of listens and, and the engagement with the audience. It's wonderful to have you all out there listening. So really need to think how we bring this forward. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Thanks. I'm a little bit teary-eyed. was amazing to hear from our reoccurring guests on this podcast throughout almost five years of podcasting. Paul, any last words you want to say? There is actually. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say a big thank you to everyone that's been listening because it's all very nice for us to sit here and chat and talk to people about 5G. But the idea of doing it is to inform and hopefully entertain people with what's happening in the latest technology. So it's been a big pleasure 
to have that opportunity. And I'd like to give a little shout out, of course, to the people that I work with in my day job. People like Dean Bubbly and Daryl Schooler and the other analysts that I know have from time to time doubled and listened to what we've had to say. And thank you guys for listening in. Yeah. And for the, all the rest of you, of course, out there, thank you as well for listening in. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really sure Jen Inder's got something up her sleeve <laughs> when I'm out of the picture. Keep tuned in, yeah. as it were. Keep following the channel after this, even. Don't remove it from your list because I'm sure we're going to come back to you on this channel with something completely different. Won't be Paul, but and it, might, it might not even be me, but I'm sure we have some great new ideas to bring you the latest stuff about networks and connectivity, 5G, 6G, IoT, enterprises, consumers, service providers, all the interesting stuff out there <laughs> going forward as well. But as Paul said, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And bye. And, and how's it going with that deep fake, Janina? <laughs> still, still on the drawing board, Paul. If you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5Gpodcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us. Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.